0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the UI Breakfast Podcast. I'm your host, Jane Portman, and today our special guest is Rob Gifford, Managing Director of Experience Design at MadPAL, and we're going to talk about designing for financial services. This episode is brought to you by UserList a lifecycle messaging tool for SaaS companies. It's perfect for sending smart onboarding campaigns or any other behavior-based communication. We have everything you need to get started quickly and painlessly. Developer-friendly API, campaign templates, and hands-on support from the founders. Try UserList free at userlist.com. Hey, Rob.
1: Hey, Jane. Glad to be with you Jeff.
0: Excited to have you as a guest. Before we get started, well, at first, I'd like to acknowledge that we've had at least two of your colleagues on the show before. That's Emmy Bucher and James Christie. So that's some talent pool you have there at MedPow. And uh, tell us about your background story. What you do and what do you do for the team?
1: Yeah, I work on the experience design team uh, here at MadPaw. So, experience design at MadPaw—we're we're a design agency. We have multiple different d- design practices. we um, talked to James and, and Amy about some of those. So, experience design is—is is think about that as UX at you know MadPaw. It's that digital product design from information architecture creating flows and all the way at wireframes to to visual design. So really kind of thinking about a specific touch point and how you're going to design that experience. So I helped to lead that team with some others and then also lead projects for MadPath. So MadPath, as a consulting company, we're often on three or four month projects or even longer multiple different disciplines, just kind of being embedded in in a company, Uh, a lot of Fortune 500 companies. And I tend to lead some of those um, in the financial space.
0: Tell us more about your daily life and uh, how exactly you get involved in the client projects and why exactly did you decide to focus on you know financial industry as one of your core expertise fields is that the majority of your work
1: Yeah so my background is in healthcare and financial services so prior to MapPaw I was designing for healthcare for the five or six years before I joined here in Mad Palace, you know, two primary focus areas, two verticals we design for healthcare and finance. So I started started out doing some healthcare work here. I still do that, the occasional healthcare project, but sort of just kind of, you know, sort of found my way into designing for some of these financial companies we work with, companies like USAA, Fidelity, and Liberty Mutual, so insurance companies, large financial institutions. And, and, you know, once you start designing, wrapping your head around some of those challenges and problems, it kind of of becomes easier to solve the next one or find themes and patterns. So I've just kind of continued uh, working with a lot of those clients over the last three or four years. And it's been fun. It's been really it's super interesting. I think there's just so many kind of interesting design challenges there on a day to day basis. There's probably no day that, that looks similar, but most I would say most of my time spent between going to meetings and doing presentations and facilitating clients and team members around either planning or concepting, uh, coming up with design concepts or figuring out where we want to take them, or running critiques where we're looking at work that designers have created or, or myself has created and evaluating them based off of our objectives uh, for the project. And then the second part is is just designing. So I still have my hand in creating wireframes and flows and they do a little bit of visual design myself too but primarily it's, it's a little bit more in the upfront work so uh, those are always nice days where I get to kind of you know go heads down on design work or even conducting user research to evaluate some of those designs um, as well so kind of you know generally kind of split between those those two tasks that planning and facilitation and then design and research.
0: Chad, you mentioned that, you know, designing for financial products is no different from designing for any industry. In fact, like it, it's all the basics. And before we dive into the specifics, maybe you could give us a walkthrough your typical, you know, design thinking, design process at MedPow that you follow with your team. And then we can talk about the specifics in a few minutes.
1: Yeah, right. Exactly. So I think, you know, it's funny. um, There's all these specifics, right? And I think there's specific challenges and spaces. But like you said, there's general themes, right? Good practice in terms of design. So a typical engagement that we'll go through is we we still like to do upfront research and uncovering what the pain points are that that, uh, customers or users are experiencing. In some cases, if there's no experience, that might mean... Going out and researching, uh, just interviewing you know folks and seeing what's important to them, uh, seeing how they're solving those problems right now, doing some ethnography. But if there is an experience, we do some of that. But we also, uh, you know, we'll do interviews to figure out what's important for these users, how they've made decisions on what to use, but we'll also one thing i'm a fan of is is finding some type of mvp to test early on right so often the easiest mvp is the current experience if there is one so watching somebody interact with that and give feedback and kind of think a lot as they are doing that another thing we do here you know i think that's probably not super rare but another thing we do at mad Pal, and i know you talked to amy potentially about this is uh we try to apply the psychology of behavior change to to um, our projects so What that means is that we try to leverage frameworks and uh, concepts that are validated by evidence and research. And there's so much research that's Happened in psychology, consumer behavior. And, and, and to be honest, in MatPat, we're drawing from a lot around to health psychology to understand behavior and what drives behavior. So we, we use a model called the COM-B model, which leads to an understanding of how behavior is created. So I think some of your users might be familiar with like BJ Fogg, who has his own framework, but the COM-B model is actually based out of, I researchers in London came up with it, but it's really looking at you know, behavior being a function of capability, so people's ability to do the behavior or the opportunity they have to, to do the behavior and the motivation to do. And there's m- multiple different facets of motivation, opportunity, and capability. So when we do some of those upfront research uh, interviews or ethnography, we look at it in terms of. You know, which one of those three variables are lagging in terms of the behavior we want people to engage with while they're using the, the systems and platforms that we're designing, but also kind of what they want to engage with, too. So we look at sort of where the friction is there uh, between those three different dimensions. So all that to say is that we we like to ground our work in a solid research understanding of the user and then go into... Um, pretty quickly into concepting. So we'll often, we'll do like a design sprint where we'll collect all of that information, present out research findings, and then quickly move into ideation. So based, you know, we'll do some problem framing activities, synthesize that research, figure out what is it that we're actually solving for and we'll come up with some design principles, which is something I would you personally like to, to incorporate into every project, which will guide the solution and make, help us make decisions around the solution. And then we go into ideating. So then sort of opening it back up again to everybody's good ideas and creative ideas around you know how we solve these problems and achieve our experience objectives with some guidance around these frameworks have kind of pulled together so from there we'll we'll often you know have a bunch of different concepts that resonate with people we do kind of a structured activity where we critique and vote on different parts of those concepts that everyone's sketched out together and we'll go and test those and get feedback from users and see how they resonate with them so often learn a lot really at the beginning of that process we'll even sometimes test multiple sort of divergent or competing concepts against each other so it's really all about going wide, you know, starting with a really clear understanding of the user, then going wide in terms of testing different ideas, and then choosing one and evolving it throughout the rest of the project, kind of chunking it out into different components and different areas that we can kind of focus on for a series of weeks. And you know, after we define a, a, a smaller subset of the experience, bring it into wireframes, higher fidelity wireframes, or even visual design, sometimes going out and back to users and getting feedback from them. So it's iterative, but we're also, you know, chunking out the experience of the key problems that we're focusing on. And a lot of times for a typical project with us, we will, um, you know, we'll take it up to the point of design or work with developers to start to implement it, but we'll have the sort of a client team kind of come along with us, as we do the work so they can kind of you know one give us feedback and we can you know leverage all of their great thinking that they've probably done already around the work but then they can also take it and run with it as they um, you know after the engagement's over and sort of be the owner of that experience uh, as it goes into development
0: Thanks for giving us a sneak peek behind the curtains and how you work. To be entirely transparent, what kind of projects do you find yourself implementing most often? Is that like, you know, stockbrokers dashboard for super advanced users or somebody for, you know, customer facing that a typical average Joe would use in their everyday life?
1: Yeah, we do a lot of end consumer and user work. I'm going to say at least half of it is in the insurance space. So, you know, hopefully I'm not losing too many of your your listeners by saying that, that you know, it's, it's, it doesn't sound super interesting, but I always find it really kind of fascinating. So this is, you know, these are use cases around getting a quote for insurance, what type of insurance that is adjusting your policy, understanding how to use it if you ever need to use it. And then there's, you know, we do a lot of work in benefits uh, selection. So, you know, in the U.S. we have you know, private health insurance, so a lot of work needs to go into helping people select the right insurance, the right level of insurance, um, you know, for them and their family, and then sort of understanding what they can do with it too. And typically, there's a whole kind of dashboard experience around that, and an onboarding experience around that. So those are some of the primary use cases we deal with. We also do a lot with you know financial institutions, investment companies, um, helping people save for retirement or figure out how much to to um, you know, put away for college and whatnot uh, for the kids. So I would say most of it's insurance, but a lot of it's, you know, some other components of it are really around that investment strategy for people.
0: To the outsider, it seems like you'd be, you know, designing dashboards all day long. Is that the feeling you have? Or is there much more behind the scenes that we don't even think about when it comes to financial apps?
1: yeah there's so much more i think dashboard that's such a a familiar construct and it's something that a lot of it comes down to but you know i think you know dashboards are their way to display lots of different information to people you know but i think one thing that i I keep coming back to is like people often want to come to an experience feeling often want to accomplish one specific targeted thing so there's a lot in there in terms of you know Designing that home base for people, that's really prioritizing features and making it feel simple once once they get in there. Yeah, you know, oftentimes we find it's yeah you know, that people people don't want to interact with their insurance company. I mean, if you think about how often you interact with your auto insurance or your um, or home and owners insurance is probably not often. It's probably only when there's a couple things that have gone wrong. So, yeah, prioritization is is a key in terms of those dashboard experiences. The other part is oh, say there's two other parts to it. One is getting your quote. So, so figuring out like the shopping process, basically. So, what we found is that in especially in the insurance space, people kind of view insurance as a commodity, right? They don't. There's there's really no difference between insurance providers in, in customers' minds, at least. And I think, I know there, there definitely is an in actuality, and there's different levels of pricing for different, different companies, but so the thing then becomes clients or, or customers are out there shopping around quite a bit. They're looking for, they're trying to get lots of different quotes to find the best possible price. It comes down to price for them. So we have to really think about that shopping experience. So a lot of it is that upfront, like how does somebody, how do we get a price to somebody as quickly as possible? Uh, which is really challenging in a a domain where a lot of these companies have been around for 50, 60, 100 years. And they previously before the Internet, before e-commerce, they're really relying on people to interact with brokers or some type of in-person experience where they're, you know, they have somebody explaining all the details to them. They maybe have more consumers or users have more, let's say, patience and attention span. Because if you think about the conversations you have with people, you're willing to spend more attention with that person. You're willing to spend more time with them. But online, when you're shopping or you're finding information, your attention span shrinks dramatically. So you need to kind of translate that in-person experience to something that's extremely short and extremely efficient in doing that with some companies that are you know have more of a legacy of an in-person experience and maybe aren't you know you don't take a user first approach to product development it can be very challenging and there's a lot of different ways that we we work with companies to do that so you know i think it's a roundabout way of answering your your question i think there's there's definitely that dashboard home base experience but a lot of it is also kind of before that experience which is is the shopping and onboarding process?
0: That's really fascinating because we we only think of you know financial tools as, as an everyday app that you'd open, but the way that quotes work is probably has much more you know impact on the conversions and everything that really matters to the institutions you work for. So it's really awesome. Tell us how you find the balance between between you know step by step simplification and uh, large numbers. And versus information density and, you know, see everything at a glance at once, you know, I imagine that must be pretty hard to find.
1: Yeah, that's a great, great question. That's like a core question that we often have to answer in each project. Okay, so here's, i try to explain my, my perspective on this. When I think of, I'm going to go kind of theoretical for a second. When I think of user experience and, and making frictionless. experience, experiences making things feel easy for people i think of effort right the, the amount of effort somebody has to put into the experience to get what they want and that effort can come in multiple different forms right the effort can come into cognitive effort of like you know i'm at the screen i don't know what to do i'm overwhelmed so i feel confused that effort can also come into the form of just time i have to spend a lot of time this is a tedious process i have to click through multiple screens but each click or each screen might be easy in and of itself. It's just a long, drawn-out process. And so that, that kind of gets to that dichotomy of information density versus kind of sequentially stepping things out. You know, so you can imagine an information-dense screen you know, being the quickest experience in that You know, somebody who knows what they're doing, somebody who's a power user has used this thing multiple times, goes in there, just quickly fills out a bunch of questions that are all on the same screen or they quickly find data that's exactly what they're looking for in the place where they expect it, right? So they don't, they're do not they not troubled by seeing lots of information because they know exactly where on the screen to find it because they've been there before. But your new user, your, your user who's either unfamiliar to a space or coming to an application or a website for the first time, that data density is often going to compete with, or it's, it's going to incur a lot more effort from them. It's gonna, it's gonna be counterproductive if you want to simplify things, and that's because they don't know what to focus on uh, at the beginning, right? They need you to kind of serve things up for them. They need things stepped out a little bit more. If you have two or three or four questions, you know, or, or more in a lot of cases, then they're gonna. You know, they're kind of, one, they're going to feel overwhelmed. And two, they're just going to, you know, it's going to be harder for them to actually, you know, think through what you're, what you're asking them. And similarly, when you're presenting information or data or visualizations to them, it's going to, you know, they're just going to be confused as to where to find the information they're looking for. So the way that I think about sort of negotiating that trade-off between, you know, stepping things out, and making, but, but, you know, making that fee- be longer versus, Making them be shorter and having multiple, you know, multiple pieces of information, lots of different pieces of information on a single step. But I think about that as you got to go back to what user you're designing for. Are you designing for somebody who is coming to this thing for the first time? If that is the case, and I think it's you know, it needs to be stepped out much more sequentially. So that's where I think of like the insurance quotes, for example, or maybe a specific calculation around how much you're you should invest for your children's education, for example, because that might be something that you're doing, you know, one or two times Then you make a decision on it. And for those, when we start to employ in a lot more data density, that's really where we're we're, uh, designing for more power users, users who are coming in and using an application every day or multiple times per week. And they're going to remember where things are. They're going to remember how to get through things. And a lot of it's going to end up being muscle memory to them. So you can kind of sort of incorporate a little bit more complexity or a lot more complexity in what they're designing for. And I'll give you an example of this. A couple of years ago, I designed an insurance quoting tool for, it had two parts to it. It was the end user who was going to go online and, and fill out an insurance quote and just to get a price and see what the, uh, what the policy was. And then the other side of it was a lot of people still want to call up to a call center and get a quote by talking to a human. Uh, who would then have an application, right, kind of on their on their browser, uh, and be filling out the same information that that, that person would be online, uh, but they would be running it through their systems and just kind of speaking it back to the customer and kind of explaining what what, what the price was and what was offered in the policy. The initial design brief we went into it and said, hey, it's got to be the same system. It's got to work for both. You know, it's got to work for both uh, user groups. the the people and uh, the, the end consumer and the call center agents who are uh, running the quote on their own—they they were sitting in a big room. They just did these did this you know, twenty times a day, and we basically said, you know, that's that's probably not the best approach. We, you know, there's vastly the amount vast amount of difference between the knowledge um, and the skill that, that that each and one of these users is bringing to the table, and we have to design it differently. So the end experience we had for the the consumer. Ended up being a very sequential flow where we asked one question at a time. We had a lot of visuals. We had you know a lot of tool tips explaining uh, things and a little bit more copy, kind of embell- not embellishing, but kind of exposing the meaning of different questions and, and kind of explaining it a little bit more. The call center agents were completely, you know, they were they were completely annoyed by that that design because it was slowed them down so much, and they often wanted to jump around to different questions to be able to navigate. You know the conversation as it came up and all its different forms with different people, and they also wanted to just you know they were just able to kind of zoom right into the the questions and and data that they needed right at the time at the time, so their experience ended up being just one big page or two big pages where we had all this all these questions consolidated so they could just jump right through and tab through each each field so much more of a focus on efficiency there for for users who are very experienced and then more on explanation and hand-holding for the users who are using it one time.
0: Let's focus on decision-making. And you mentioned that's one of the most challenging UX uh, tasks that you face uh, is uh, providing the user with just the right amount of information to make decisions and simplifying things for them. So tell us more, what kind of situations are we talking about and how you manage that?
1: yeah decision making is a huge domain and i think a lot of consumer behavior researchers have been researching this for a long time psychologists too there are multiple different challenges there some things that come to mind are um, how many decisions should we present to somebody right how many options should we present to people that's the big one and it's it's this tug of war it's again this balance between different dichotomies which is on one hand, I think maybe some of your your listeners have read um Barry Schwartz's book, The Paradox of Choice, right? And how too much choice is it you know, creates a poor experience for people. They they become overwhelmed and they you know they fear making the wrong decision. And then, you know, oftentimes they make a decision if they had tons of different options. They can, they'll end up regretting that decision if they, you know, not because they necessarily made a bad choice, but they can imagine so many other different possibilities if they had chosen X, Y, Z thing, uh, things that might have gone better for them. So there's definitely that school of thought, which is, you know, limit choice because it's it's confusing, creates uh, choice paralysis and uh, choice overload. And then on the other end of the spectrum, there's. And so you might say, okay, well, let's just not give people choice, right? Because it's confusing, and it it, it causes uh, potentially these different experiential qualities that we don't want people to have. But on the other end of the spectrum, people need choice. People need a sense of autonomy in their life, right? So that people need a sense of control, and this goes to one of the um, psychological frameworks that we use at MadPod called um, self-determination theory. So basically, says that people are motivated. By a number of factors, there's you know two or three core factors, but one of those is a sense of autonomy. So, how much control do you have personally in the work or the, the decisions that you're making or the you know the experience that you have? And so, I think that that definitely bears true when you're designing choices for people in a in a sort of a digital environment, is that people need to have some sense of control, right? Even if they're not experts in what they're doing, even if they're not, you know, maybe a system could recommend something uh for them and, and get it right 90 percent of the time people users customers are going to have more confidence in what they're buying or the decisions they're making or the sort of selections that they have you know for however that takes shape in a flow if they have some level of control and some level of choice so really the, the key then becomes between those two poles you know giving people choice but not too much choice Uh, where it's overwhelming to them and and that's going to again vary depending on the level of skill and expertise and experience that your user group has right so people that are more skilled that have done this more often can handle lots and lots of choice and lots of options because again they know what they're looking for they have really well developed preferences and they have strategies for kind of getting rid of options that are irrelevant Now, when you look at folks that are new to a system or new to an application, uh, maybe consumers, again, that are buying insurance or making a selection on for how much to invest or what type of funds to invest in. That's where you get into, I think you can limit choice quite a bit. I don't think there's a golden rule, but probably somewhere between three to seven choices or options at a time at any given decision point. It's probably a good, good place to start. So those those are folks that are going to be more uh, those new, you know folks that aren't bringing as much knowledge or expertise to the table are going to be ones that um, you know need you to guide them a little bit more. Really to take the first pass at winnowing down um, their options for them, based off of ideally based off of things that you know about them in terms of their you know, their preferences or what's going to create a good outcome for them.
0: Is it ever about helping users analyze data, or are we talking again about the shopping experience, which which seems to be the most challenging?
1: Yeah, there are definitely use cases where people need to analyze data and information. I think we tend to overrate that as designers. I think if I were to say we have maybe a little bit of a bias around things, UI designers, visual designers, experience designers... I think we love data visualization and we have a tendency to want to find, (laughs) we will find opportunities to design data visualization tools and, and platforms. And it's a very interesting thing for us, but I think the average user, they're well served by pretty simple visualizations. I mean, I do a little bit of investing on the side and, and, uh, I, you know, I'm not the basic answers questions that are that I want answered are can be answered in pretty simple graphs and with pretty simple you know data points that I, that I understand so I'm not against data vis- visualization I think that I think it serves folks that need to find patterns and find correlations in a much more robust and complicated way i think um I think the other thing that we as designers need to think about is just, you know, what questions are our users asking when they're coming to a dashboard or when they're coming to a set of information and how do we get them the direct path to that? Right. So, you know, it's sometimes a graph or visualization may not be the quickest way to get the information. It may be, you know, a message or a badge or a, a notification that just, you know, is, is simple text and is worded in a conversational way and references uh, some goals that they had. So. Yeah, I guess uh, you know I don't know if that's answering your your question or thought but it, you know I think there's a lot of interesting stuff in terms of data visualization that we can think through but I think we also need to think through kind of other other ways to meet those needs too.
0: Are there any products uh, out there maybe I don't know banking apps anything else that uh, that you have used personally that really inspire you as a design example in the financial industry?
1: Yeah, I think there's a couple people I think that are doing a great job with a couple companies. So in the insurance space, I would say Lemonade is a phenomenal example of this. If you want to think about how do you take a really complicated uh, flow and boil it down to something that's simple and conversational and take a product that is obscure which is an insurance product and make it more user-friendly and really boil it down to the actual kind of what does it do for a consumer i think they're a great example to check out another one you know i think on the financial side there's a couple i mean there's so many that are coming out personal finance apps that are um, hitting the market i think there's you know betterment is a great one in terms of striking that right balance between being conversational but also visualizing data and le- letting you kind of model out dis- different scenarios credit karma is a great example when it comes to you know, taking one core product one core algorithm which is your credit score and making that into sort of a, a motivational framework to help you save and and manage your finances better i think they've done a great job at creating kind of this digital assistant experience you know that, that looks holistically at, at your finances and especially for the user group that I think they're targeting, which are folks that want to improve their credit score and start saving. And, uh, yeah, I mean, th- those are ones that strike strike uh, me as good examples. Mint is another great one. It's kind of been around for a while, they're, especially their their iOS experience. They've just redesigned it. And I think they've done made some really interesting design choices there. And if you want to think about how do you simplify an architecture in terms of just the core features and how they relate to each other, I think they've, they've done a good job of that.
0: Are there any books or blogs or other resources that our listeners can tune in if they want to learn more about the industry in general and design, I don't know, some designers who are particularly famous for for their financial apps?
1: Oh, that's a great question. Which is probably,
0: probably not the case, but,
1: but whatever. <laughs> that's a great some? question. Maybe that's an opportunity. I don't know. You know, specific designers... I, I don't, I don't think of too many. Oh gosh. So I think you you interviewed Amy, right? So Amy Bucher just released a book called Engaged, uh, my colleague. Uh, That's probably, I'm not just saying this because she's my my colleague. Uh, That's probably the best introduction to Designing for kind of behavior, behavior change, behavioral design, and a big part of that is financial. I think there's another um, thinker on this, Stephen Wendell, who's, who's done a great book. He was head of a design at some uh, personal finance application. I think he's moved on since then, but he did a great book called Designing for Behavior Change, which is an awesome, awesome intro as well. It's got a great framework that's like, pretty easy to apply to projects. There's some great stuff there in terms of like people that are boiling down the the, the psychological research, social science research, and putting in design terms. You know, we yeah you know, we do a lot of stuff on this. If people you know are interested in, you know, I definitely encourage folks to check out our work at Mad We we run a financial experience design conference every year uh, in October. You know, so that was remote last year. It, it might be remote this year. It might be in person depending on how things go with the pandemic, but that's another resource for folks
0: once we're talking at about madpow uh where can people find you online your agency online and are there any particular assets on the website that people should pay attention to
1: yeah so you can find us at madpow.net you can find me uh, at Twitter at our GIFs and on LinkedIn uh, as well. Um, Gifford UX is my personal website. So those are you know, those are the primary sources. I mean, MadPow's website. So check for case studies and see you know, if there's anything interesting there. We try to explain a lot of our work. We also have a really robust um, you know, blog where we post regularly. Uh, there are a couple of posts that, if, if anyone's interested in the kind of what I was talking about around choice architecture and simplifying decisions, or how to simplify experiences, I've got a couple of posts on there. One that's called "How to Simplify any Experience," another one that's called "You Know Simplifying Decisions for Financial um, Choices." You can also see a um, a, a video online if that a presentation I gave around that, so that might be helpful, where I walk through kind of six specific strategies for simplifying financial decisions. And you know, hopefully that gives people a little bit deeper sense of one of the, some of the stuff I've been talking about. And yeah, so I think those are those are the big things for sure. Um, you know, look for MadPad. We're always presenting, my colleagues are always presenting places. Amy uh, is big at that James as well, who being, you've uh, interviewed in other sessions, but yeah, just, you know, check out our website, check, uh, you can also follow Matt Powell on Twitter if you search for us and get any, any information on sort of the latest presentations that we're giving. We'll touch on kind of all these topics. So.
0: That's a wealth of knowledge. Thanks so much for, you know, triggering this huge investigation into this industry today. Hope, uh, hope it doesn't stop here for many of the listeners. Do you feel like this industry is open to mere mortals or is it that, you know, all big interesting uh, projects go to agencies like yours.
1: Oh no. I mean I think the trend actually is there's a lot of these um great your financial companies or bigger financial companies like hiring and building their own design teams in-house. So more and more the, the model we're seeing is we're collaborating with those designers in-house. So if you're interested in consulting, there's probably lots of consulting opportunities. If you're interested in uh, working in house, where I think probably the majority of opportunities are, yeah, there's definitely a lot of hiring there, at least in, in the states where I'm at. And I think there's a lot of you know there's a lot to be said for both working in house. You get more time and more you get more embedded and familiar with the products that you're designing for, which is a lot of opportunity there too.
0: Awesome. Thanks so much for joining us today, Rob. Uh, Thanks for sharing your wisdom and uh, good luck with your projects.
1: Thanks. It was a pleasure, Jen.
0: Wonderful. Have a great rest of your week.
1: You too.